What's happening, guys? Welcome to Locked On Marlins. This is your daily Marlins podcast with me, Peter Pratt. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter at Miami Marlins underscore UK. I am still here in Tenerife, Canary Island, part of Spain, and the sun is still shining. The beer is still cold. The sangria is still cold. The red wine is still wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. Guys, welcome to the Saturday edition. I know there's not been many episodes this week, but... This is part two of the conversation with the King of Gifts, Eli Sussman, and we continue our conversation around the CBA negotiations. We recorded this last weekend. It's still current. It's still current, for sure. Sit back, enjoy, get the Riocas out, and let's go. You are Locked On Marlins, your daily podcast on the Miami Marlins, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Eli, let's get into this specific um, pool discussion. Do you do you like the way that, I mean, the, the, the clear problem of the negotiating point is the gap. The gap is vast in terms of what is being asked. The players are looking for like $115 million as a pool, something in that range. It's went to 110, back out to 115. The owners are knocking around 10 million to 15 million. So there's about a 100 million gap. Can you try and summarize, A, your thoughts on, the proposal from the players um, and how it will, I guess, you know, let's apply it to like a Trevor Rogers, for example, which you know fits into this category and where you see it actually ending up if, if we can at this stage. So Trevor Rogers is a great person to kind of exemplify this with because mm-hmm. he was an all-star in his rookie season, his first full season, yet he, uh, they, the Marlins managed him in just a particular way so that he's still two full seasons away from arbitration eligibility if they stick with the same system that we've had in baseball for for decades then he he'll he would only earn very slightly above the league minimum in 2022 and in 2023 before Mm -hmm. getting any opportunity to change that for and for somebody like him that's a pitcher as confident as you might feel in him with how high the injury rate is you know it's not unheard of for players to like shine so brightly as a rookie. And then a few years down the road, by the time they actually are in a position to finally get those arbitration rate raises, something could go wrong. Mm -hmm. And this is a way to something that would be pretty unprecedented to create this like significant bonus pool for these players that are not yet arbitration eligible yet. And so there are, the questions continue to be, you know, what exactly is the threshold for a player to like qualify for this? How, how many players, for example, are going to be given this reward and where do you draw the line between a player that is very good early in their career versus one that is exceptional enough to receive this money. And, and what's disappointing as, as has been the case in a lot of these negotiations is that they really haven't seemed to ironed out, a lot of specifics at all to this point. Like it's still unclear exactly where that line would be. I bring up Trevor because he is somebody that I think has been accomplished enough last year that whatever, wherever they draw the line, he would seem to be on the right side of that line to be like properly compensated. Is somebody like jazz Chisholm jr. I I don't know exactly where he would fall in that, for example. So it's unclear exactly who would qualify for that. Uh, The numbers you threw out uh, were yeah, pretty similar to what, uh, I had read that the players union is a little bit 
over a hundred million dollars that they're looking to split up perhaps um, between, let's say it's like one player per team, for example, it's probably like 30 players, for example, is where they may draw the line uh, to, to balance it out. Whereas the, the owners are really dragging their feet. Their bonus pool that we heard was barely anything at all. Once you split it up among uh, a big number of players. So because this is something that's unprecedented, um, I think as is a lot of the things that the players are asking for this being a negotiation where the players are asking for a lot of things that should have existed a while ago, but haven't existed yet. Mm. And for that reason, the owners kind of have some leverage in that they can, the way that the sport has been working for decades that they believe has been successful. um, That's the way it's been. If you're asking for something new, then my guess is that it will, the resolution will fall closer to the owner's side that whatever this dollar amount is, players asking for more than a hundred, the, the owners conceding barely anything at all, that it would be somewhere right around 50 million, if not a little bit lower than that, that gets uh, split along among the players. That'd be my prediction. Yeah. That works out in such a way that these players can, um, that wouldn't have been in a position to earn anything near a million dollars that, that they'll at least reach a point where the great pre-arbitration eligible players can maybe cross that threshold. So yeah, I think on that particular issue, um, the owners are probably going to get more of what they want than the players do yet. It is, it's a very important thing. Um, not just to treat these players fairly, but it's a very important recruiting, um, pitch to make with young athletes in the U S um, as you may be aware of this, that the fact that, it just seems that a whole lot of exceptional athletes that play multiple sports in the U S more so in recent years, never before more of those players are choosing different sports besides mm-hmm. baseball um, because baseball is in this situation where um, it takes so long for you to be in that, uh, to be able to earn your true market value at the major league level. And this is one of these things that in the long term, uh, even if it feels like only a player only uh, demands that this is something that could benefit the whole sport. If yeah. young athletes in high school or college, they see this path where very soon after they reach the big leagues, they can actually impact their, their earnings that they could actually be rewarded in some sort of way uh, beyond what the normal player would be. The reality is the league minimum is way too low. For me, it should be at least a million bucks, a million bucks at least um for you know a major league guy on league minimum for the size of this sport it really should like the what five six five or whatever it is you know right now way too low it's shockingly low really and then you're then kept to that level right now uh subject to these i guess negotiations what did you make though one of the kind of things that came out uh before the weekend too after the last negotiation uh, discussion that lasted 15 minutes by all accounts surprise surprise they got in a room a uh, proposal was made and the meeting ended uh, which seems to have been the the case i'm not sure if they've negotiated more than 10 hours yet in the last couple of months but nevertheless one of the things that trickled out i thought was really interesting was the players pushing back to say if the season doesn't start on time then expanded postseason is a no-go for them and so I thought that was a really interesting piece. What did I don't know how legitimate that is in terms of the accuracy of the reporting, but nevertheless, um, for me, I think it's a really interesting card for the players to play because the owners have already showed their hands to me. They showed it in 2020. They 
they could care less about the regular season length, to be honest, as long as there was enough to make it, enough teams could qualify for a postseason. But they want postseason baseball and more of it. So the players to push back and go, hey, listen, this is our bargaining chip. You need to agree to some pieces that we want or postseason is not happening. What was your take on that one? Yes, I'm in lockstep with you on that, that I was happy that the, owner, the players recognize that it's really been right in front of your face to recognize yeah. that in 2020, when we kind of ran the season under the owner's terms, that they wanted as big a postseason field as possible. And that ultimately, the, it's just a fascinating topic in general, the expanded postseason for mm-hmm. everything it means. In particular, for a team like the Marlins, where in Marlins history, there's there's never been they've never won the division. They've never won more than 92 games in a season. And as poised as they are for like long term success now with their organizational depth, I have a hard time seeing them ever pulling together a team that wins 100 games in a season. Uh, that for them in particular, it, it it's that's something that I that would be very beneficial for them to have as as many postseason teams as possible to be able to set their organization in such a way that they've never been able to do before, which is make the postseason on a consistent basis and all the positive that brings in, in deep down, a lot of players want it too, because yeah. players, they want an opportunity to win a championship. They, there've been so many cases through the years where teams gel in the middle of the season and they can't entirely make up for struggling early on, but they, they reach a point where they believe that they have a, a chance to go all the way once they get things right and, and put their clubhouse together the way they want and reach a level they want to. So I think deep down, uh, really everybody would benefit for this, but in particular, it's because, as you mentioned, the, the owners recognize that this is it dramatically changes their whole revenue situation. It creates an entirely new set of broadcasting deals about the postseason that they can sell that they've already sold, I believe, to Turner Sports and a little bit that they've been able to, if the postseason expands, then they have so many games that they could split it up across multiple networks. So they're they would be the biggest beneficiaries for them, even if everybody is everybody probably deep down wants something like this. And I, I mean, I think the expectation you can almost lock it in that there'll be more than ten teams in the postseason moving forward. That it'll be bigger than it has been over the last decade. Yeah. The exact number they settle on, whether it's 12, whether it's 14, whether it's 16, uh, that's what they have to iron out. And that's what uh, I expect them to there to be some sort of give and take where if the owners want more teams and the players want more of their issues resolved uh, in exchange for that. All right, then, guys, it is time for the first batch of US ads with the British Twist. And of course, the guys over at Built Bar, they have you covered. It's the time of the year that pretty much given up on all of the New Year's resolutions. But not this year, I'm sticking to my resolution, eat them right thanks to Built Bar. It almost feels like it's not really a resolution because I'm actually enjoying eating them. Here's the question though, have you tried the Puffs? If you haven't, you're missing out on one of Built Bar's best tasting bars. Puffs are the first ever protein infused marshmallow. Yep, protein infused marshmallow. They're fluffy, marshmallowy. They're not just a protein bar, they're a treat and they're covered in 100% real chocolate. If you want to go and pick these up, get yourselves over to built.com, use promo code LOCKED15, that's LOCKED15, and get 15% off your order. Yeah, I agree. One thing they have agreed on, um, which is interesting, so the last time I think we heard from Rob Manfred, uh, you know, basically 
it was more of the same in many ways. But there was confirmation that a DH will be with the NL for the 22 season. So we have that confirmed. Uh, the pessimist in me feels that 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 bargaining chip wasn't as strong a bargaining chip as perhaps they thought it was, the owners. And so they were happy to concede because actually it's better for them too. We all saw in 2020, I got to see anyway, for the first time, DH rules. Miles better. Offensively, it just it's miles better. You, there's no other way of describing it. The product on the field is just so much more entertaining. And... And, you know, this kind of talk about more jobs. There isn't more jobs. There's still the same size rosters. It's not more jobs. It's, it's a nonsense. So I think with that one, they run out of leverage with that one. They just went, you know what? Let's just get this through and get it agreed. And maybe as a PR stunt to make it look like, hey, we've agreed on something. But actually, I think everyone wanted it. And there wasn't really that much weight behind it. But nevertheless, the DH is confirmed. That hurt the Marlins, I think, last year because it was it felt like it may appear then it didn't and our roster was already set accordingly and we were kind of a bit trapped with maybe like three dh options and there wasn't a dh um but uh, eli might for me, my well my overall assessment of it this is really going to benefit Gary cooper more than anyone right now subject to the marlins making any further moves which is still possible but if the roster is what it is now I see Garrett Cooper being a massive beneficiary for the Marlins, but what was your take on the DH in general? And equally, uh, are you aligned on Cooper Loop being the main beneficiary? That's something where somewhat like a minor league discussion, there's been a whole lot of evolution on how it's perceived publicly. Just a few years ago, you'd be surprised at how evenly split uh, National League fan bases were among wanting the DH versus not wanting it yeah. the turning point was in 2020 actually seeing it for themselves yeah. actually like understanding on a daily basis wow this is this is more fun um even though on balance you know i don't think it disproportionately affects one team more than the other i can guarantee you that every single every single fan base in the national league is saying finally and pointing to several players that either directly or indirectly benefit from it it's it's just a positive all around frankly yeah. for for the whole sport that again, they were because they were able to see it for themselves and actually experience the difference. That was that was a huge turning point in that whole uh, conversation. I'm still somebody that's of the opinion that the Marlins are should. I don't know if they will. I think they should consider some sort of trade regarding what is that really three players that are first baseman by trade in Lewin Diaz, Jesus Aguilar, and Garrett Cooper. Mm. That to me putting together the most the complementary roster um, is difficult to do. If you have all three of them there, understanding that they all have the same main position, the DH does give them more leverage. It gives them, bides them more time to figure it out because under, if this was anything close to a normal off season, um, then, then maybe they, there would have been a trade done already at this time. But the fact that on the other side of this lockout, there'll be so little time to actually make a call uh, I don't. I don't think they no longer have to feel obligated to rush into any sort of decision on that because Lewin has minor league options, and because now that you have the DH spot, you could like hypothetically play both Cooper and Aguilar on a daily basis every single day. Your point on Cooper though is something that I totally agree with. Uh, I know Craig Mish has been kind of calling <laughs> for this for years yeah. that because Cooper happens to be 
very large man. Like he's just the the player type that historically in baseball, when you're a position player, that's I, I don't want to get inside his his personal information, but I assume he's like close to 250 pounds, regardless of what the listed weight says. That players of that size historically just are not as durable as others, and he's somebody that in particular. Uh, the way that his 2021 season ended was with an injury as a fielder when he was reaching for a ball at first base. And it's not the first time that he's also suffered other minor injuries as an outfielder defensively. He's somebody that really uniquely you would think would benefit from being a DH given that his injury history, some of it regarding being in the field and the fact that when he gets hot, this is something that I really prioritize when I evaluate players is how good are they going when they're at their best? And mm. Cooper has been streaky in, in some ways, but I kind of, for a player like him that for a month at, at a time could be among the very best hitters in all of baseball. We've seen it last year before yep. he got hurt. We saw it also going back to 2019 uh, for a chunk in the middle of the season, even when the team was out of it, that he's somebody that despite how old he is and how little his track record is at the major league level due to injuries, there's still very tantalizing upside with him and to realize that upside the dh is the perfect opportunity to do that could be the other alternative though eli let me let's not rule it out either there's a ton of guys out there in the market that also would fit that role uh free agent wise i mean clearly there's limitless opportunities trade wise as well perhaps but if you just look at the free agent class and like you said this is something that dave shaw brought up me last week the uk phillies guy that and the Phillies are coming at it, I guess, from a unique perspective because their roster is so holy. It is, it's really bare at the moment. And they've, they, you know, at the moment, they've had to stop all of their work. And effectively, once the CBA is agreed and the lockout ends, they're expecting just a whirlwind of activity. They have to because they've got no players. They've got no bullpen. They've got no outfield. They've got no middle infield, I don't think, either. But anyway, um, from a Marlins perspective... You know, it's going to be, and just generally, it could be a real wild couple of weeks, a bit like pre-lockout, where it was just a lot of fun, is what I would, how I would describe it. It was just a lot of activity and a lot of fun. But let's not rule out the fact that they could, the Marlins could go seek in one of these big-time free agent guys. Um, I haven't spoke to you about free agents that much. I spent a lot of time talking about it this this off season. But if they were going to sign one that maybe could flex outfield maybe dh is probably the most obvious and they're probably the most obvious targets as well who would you target if it was you not who do you think the marlins would be if it was you who would you go after it would be kyle schwarber yeah at this point um i just not just the numbers not just what we've seen in person Mm -hmm. hitting at lone depot park but also the underlying stats as well support that he just has a really special bat and the plate discipline to get the most out of it too. He swings at the right pitches and when he puts his swing on it, it goes a long way out to all fields just based on the previous discussion, you know, it's clunky with this roster, as we just mentioned, you know, they already seem they have internal options to be a DH and Schwarber kind of less so even than Castellanos, even less so than, any of those other outfielders out there, like he's somebody that you you really don't want to play him in the outfield. You you would want him, you would profile him as a DH, especially as he's now entering his thirties moving forward. But the bat is so important and it's also complimentary for, you know, what this off season has been. I think you're, you and I are both pretty pleased with some of those moves they made before the lockout, mm-hmm. 
but they happen to be moves, especially with Joey Wendell and with Jacob Stallings, where kind of the one ingredient missing from their player profile is they don't really hit for any power at all. You know, they try to make up for it with everything else they do and they make up for it in important ways. Yet, if again, if you're thinking about how this team goes together and how could they be at least as good as some of their parts or better than the sum of their parts, uh, you want to have these players in their lineup or at least on their active roster that can complement one another, that can, can do something that the other one can't. And, and Schwarber is somebody even more so than obviously El Garcia. Like he's somebody that you really trust the over the fence power and you really trust the on base skills as well. You trust them to at the very least, just be there on base, working deep plate appearances, working the opposing pitchers. I, I think he'd be great. You mentioned the Phillies. The Phillies are a team that has just as much as an incentive as the Marlins to sign somebody like that. And I think at the end of the day is a team that you would probably expect them to outbid the Marlins if they really do love him. So my confidence level in them getting Schwarber is not all that high. Yeah. Um, but I, I can understand why they'd be very interested in him. And I, I think that'd be great. They'd be able to definitely put together a better offensive team around him. All right, then, guys, just pausing the action here to tell you about bet online. The football season might be over for the year. How about those Rams, baby? But basketball is in full steam ahead for both pro and college hoops. From all the latest odds, totals, player performance props, to where the next fired coach is going to land, betonline.net is the number one spot for all your sports betting needs. BetOnline remains the best spot for all your sports scores, podcasts, and news this season. And it's not just basketball. BetOnline.net is your source for hockey, boxing, UFC odds, right to the Olympic coverage and information. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends and action. BetOnline, where the game starts. I think I'm with you. I think the Schwarber, the problem with Schwarber is exactly the same as Starling Marte, in my opinion, where the Marlins will be interested. I think they will make a, try and make a move, but at the end of the day, they'll probably be gazumped by someone else that will be willing to go a little bit further on the dollar amounts or the years or whatever it may be. bit like, you know, when the Mets came in with Marte, it was game over. We know the Marlins have that money available, you know, and the kind of money that I think Schwarber will command, for sure. It was kind of what they were talking about with Marte. So we know it's there. They, we know they have the appetite to go there at that kind of value. I The other problem I've got is, you're right, the roster itself with those three first basemen, plus no center fielder right now, and then, okay, maybe you then start to move Avi Garcia, center field, Jesus one side, Schwarber another. Boy, oh boy, the outfield starts to look not that fast very quickly. Um, I don't know. It's it, it's really tough. Like, it, you know, it's a big old outfield out there for sure. And like you, you'd probably want to just, if you acquire Schwarber, it's primarily as a DH. That then has a knock-on effect of, well, okay, maybe Lay wins down at AAA, You've still got the problem of the two first basemen. Aggie's on an expiring deal. You know, maybe it's an obvious move. You know, move Aggie on, perhaps expiring deal. But I don't know. There's these a lot of questions still. The Marlins have to answer. I'm still deeply troubled about center field. I really am. I'm, I've been asking that question many times. I've been thinking about it a lot for months, and I'm I struggle to find the answer. Eli, do you have the answer for me at center field? I had the answer, what, seven months ago when they were in 
contract extension talks with Starling Marte. Yeah. <laughs> now that seemed to be a very easy answer. We, oh, we love boy. this guy. This guy's great. Lock him up based on what he was asking for. Mm-hmm. And we know that base that reportedly they were still very interested in a reunion um, when he hit free agency, but they kind of missed that golden window to lock him in at a price that made sense for them. Yeah. So at, at, and at this point, I was also very hopeful about Chris Taylor as somebody that could play a lot of center fielder and even move around besides that. Mm. And they just got kind of unfortunate in that he really wanted to go back to the Dodgers and um, he, it wasn't really about the the highest dollar amount with him either. So he, he wasn't at the end of the, the day, that wasn't really a likely target either, mm-hmm. which leaves you with all these trade options. And there are a lot of trade options uh, but the ones that have been most discussed are kind of the ones that I'm most skeptical of them being able to get right now. Um, I guess top of the list would be Brian Reynolds. And with him, I just look at the history of other similar players. He's four years left of club control for a Pirates team that is terrible at the big league level right now. But uh, this spring, a lot of the assessments from these prospect experts that I put a lot of stock in like they're really optimistic about how soon they'll have a really strong homegrown core around them. Mm. When you have a player that has four years left of club control and you've already done a lot of the heavy work in terms of rebuilding your farm system. Yeah. And that player could be part of your solution. It's, it's the type of player that very seldom gets traded really one of the only somewhat comparable players that did get traded <laughs> without any baggage attached to them was actually the Marlins and Christian Yelich. And he had yep. five years of control remaining and, even though that happens, that was really the exception than the norm. So like the Marlins are looking for somebody like him that checks all the boxes as a performer and in his, his contract situation, I I don't think that guy is going to be realistically available right now, but I mean, I do like the other options. I do like Cattell Marte a lot with his bat. I don't know if he's a center fielder moving forward. He might really be more of an infielder moving forward. But someone like Schwarber, where his bat is really exceptional, that you can make it work regardless. And if you can find the right price for him, as much as much as we we've heard, you know, from Mish and others that they are really determined to get that center field position figured out this offseason. The fact that this lockout has gone as far as it is, it's, it's something that they may ultimately kick down the road a little bit, mm-hmm. um, although they're their internal options are kind of unproven, you know, there, it could be worse. It could be worse than Brian De La Cruz playing a lot of games of potentially Peyton Burdick being called up early in the year and given a shot mm-hmm. at, to kind of fake it at that position. And for Avisiel Garcia, um, this thing, I, I guess, hanging over all of this is whether they really feel that Garcia can play center fielder at a competent level. It went very poorly for him in 2020, but I looked into it pretty deeply and it just happened to be a time where he was not prepared to play center field. And based on the work that he's done conditioning his body since then um, and some, uh, how he performed last year in a corner spot, which was actually extremely well, like it's not the most far-fetched idea to like put him in center field and, and just again, kind of kick this down the road to the middle of the season. If you mm-hmm. feel like you're close enough that making one of those trades could actually get you into the postseason in 2020 that that's really i i hope to be surprised i hope they do 
they do some pull off this trade right before the season starts. That would be, that'd be crazy for me on the content side. And it would also just be, it would raise the the hype around the team in general. But yeah, my suspicion is that this ends up being something that they look to resolve like during the year after it gets going, if they feel that they're close enough to what would be a pretty significant hit to the farm system, if they're going to get a player of that caliber that we're looking for. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It's, it does, it, it creates such a, a unique situation because there's just a squeezed off season now. And then you start to think, is there enough time to get something done? Should we just roll with our guys and just see how it goes? And you don't know how big the postseason is, how, you know, how many spots are available, you know, clearly in, in, in 2020 with that wide open postseason, the mid, the mid tier teams, Marlins included at that point, they were in it. Um, were the most active at the deadline too. That's when they went out and you know what, what acquired Starling Marte in that deal in that in that um, at the deadline, which was probably the biggest deal for a hitter anyway uh, of of that deadline. And there was a couple of pitches flying around. I think the Padres were were buying everyone, if I recall. But you know, it just shows that the Marlins wouldn't be unwilling to go down that pathway again. Just let the season roll, get into it, and see how things go. And if needed, pull the trigger on something that they like. Uh, could be could be interesting. Conscious of time, Eli, I want to ask you, listen, what we know feels like the owners and this 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 week is is a big week for the CBA. Clearly, we know spring is has been impacted. As fans, we're going to feel the pain. The owners, I think, have acknowledged this and said, listen, let's all get together in New York. Let's get and make ourselves available for the week. That's the message coming through. We're going to head to New York and we're going to make ourselves available Monday to Friday. We are really going to hash this out. Some people may ask the question, well, why didn't you do that a month ago? I think that's a valid question and one that probably isn't they're able to answer. But when we strip it back, it's all about leverage. The owners are playing the game. The players will start to feel the pain. They want them to feel the pain of games could be missed. They're going to be pro-rated. Pro-rated salaries, right? Players are going to start losing dollars. Not good for them. So the owners, I think, have played this. They've played it textbook. I called this out months ago. It's exactly what they do. And now they've said, we're going to make ourselves available. We're going to get into it. So, Eli, big week for the CBA discussions. How do you see this playing out? And as a final one, how many games in a regular season are you expecting this year? As as you mentioned, it drives me crazy that they just could not have accelerated this process a little more if, yep. because basically what's been is disagreeing on a, wh- a whole host of topics going back and forth saying no 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 and if only they'd sped that up you know uh, to such <laughs> yeah. a point that this this exact point this session this extended session what it essentially is an extended bargaining session could have happened earlier um to the point where i mean based on reporting that we've been hearing you know the owner's insist that if they get this deal done by the end of February, February 28th, that they'd still be able to do the season uh, as scheduled. Um, I'm a little skeptical of that claim. And I do think that just because they are willing to meet uh, constantly doesn't mean even having like good intentions in mind, just understanding how far apart you've been throughout this process I don't think it gets cleanly resolved um, in a matter of days. I think this does stretch on a little bit longer where there's going to be a roller coaster of emotions that 
we'll be seeing some reports of <laughs> some dreary reports about how far apart they still are. There'll be moments where it seems like they're on the verge of something and then there'll be a setback. I, I see a light at the end of the tunnel. I, I, I do think that maybe I'm at this point a little more optimistic than people that the season will closely resemble what it was supposed to be. My prediction is that we end up right around starting in the middle of April and getting 150 games in. That's, that's my best guess is that we, we they end up reaching an agreement within the next couple of weeks, but just understanding realistically um, the certain amount of time needed for spring training, the certain amount of time needed to settle all these players that are still on the open market. It is still hundreds of players of those who were uh, big time free agents and those um, such as, you're someone close to your heart, somebody like Lewis Brinson, who mm-hmm. is squeezed out of his roster spot and unable to sign even a minor league deal at this moment, that there is so many tiers of players that are still unresolved situations. And for their sake, there needs to be a little buffer in between when they reach the deal and when they actually start up all these spring training games. So yeah, my best guess is an April 15th opening day. Love it. Good call. Think 150 sounds like a good number. I've, I've heard a few people land on the 150 games. Uh, feels like the consensus right now that there is going to be an impact, but 150 still still feels okay. I'm, I've am i not been attached to baseball long enough to be, I guess, nostalgic about 162. 162 feels like too many to me in general anyway. I mean, you know, listen, I watch, let's be honest, I watch and follow the Marlins from in the UK. That means every game is through the night. And trust me, it's a long slog when you try and do one six two of them. Even the day games are the games when the offense doesn't turn up. So even then, there's pain. <laughs> so um, I'm with you. I think it's going to be an interesting week. And you, you, you do call it right. There's so much of the market that still needs the time to be resolved. Plus then the usual spring training to make sure that everyone's built up and usual stuff. So I think 150 may be the optimistic view right now. But... When I look at the core issues that remain, um, there's they aren't what I expected them to be, if I'm honest. When I look back at what I was thinking going into this, I was thinking this service time manipulation piece, the um, extended amounts of control, I felt like they would be the kind of butting of heads situations. And it feels like the players actually moved on from some of those topics quite quickly in the in the journey and were left with effectively salary cap and what that could look like and how big the luxury tax should be for me i feel like they could get that sorted quite quickly like it only impacts a certain number of teams anyway um i don't know but then this bonus pool for the dudes i guess zero to two years the trevor rogers of this world listen if if you're elite if you're elite players should be paid at least you know, a fra- a fraction of, of what you should be, if not the full hog. And it's really, you know, it's really hard to sort that out by the way all of the, the financials and the contracts are structured. But nevertheless, and the interesting bit is what the future holds, whether more guys look to enter into these longer-term deals earlier. You know, the, the one, the Franco specials, the, I guess, effectively, the Acunas, the Albies is... You know, the, the Nats missed the boat on the Soto one. I guess that started rumbling as well recently that he's declined a $350 million extension with them. Marlins uh, you know, front office should be getting excited about that. Looking to make that move perhaps. But um, yeah, it's going to be an interesting week, a big week, really big week. And there's going to be a lot of news flying around. Um, but I think that's probably a good spot to leave it that 
there's still a lot of water to go under this bridge and there's going to be a lot of PR smoke screens to come out, but it should be a big week and let's hope for some positive news at the back end of it where we start to make some some progress on, on some of these remaining topics. So we'll wait and see. Eli Sussman, thank you so much for joining me on Lockdown Marlins. Where, and listen, I'd be shocked if no one's following me, but where should everyone get you on Twitter? And equally, you can pump the fish stripes while there is so much content coming out of you guys. So the floor is yours. Yeah, the two magic words, fish stripes. If you enter that into any social media platform from Twitter to Facebook to Instagram to YouTube to TikTok, you can can find us there. Yes, Um, a lot of that I oversee myself. But if you want to find me personally on Twitter, it's at Real Eli, spelled E-L-Y. We've been, yeah, we've been staying pretty busy, not as busy as I wanted to be on honorsidefishstripes.com with all sorts of analysis. Whenever there's little bits of news section, we have our own MLB lockout section of the site, which is unfortunately filling up more than I'd (laughs) like to with updates, all these frustrating updates for the most part about how things are going, but you can find us on the site and we, you know, for the past year, we've been steadily growing this live stream series that we do fish stripes live that will be several times a week during the season even during the off season it's been once a week where we do our marlins jeopardy trivia competition that we've we've had a lot of fun with (laughs) thus far nothing would bring me more joy though to have to abruptly postpone jeopardy in order to actually weigh in on breaking news about like us reaching a deal you know it's as much fun as it's been um to do this trivia with a wide variety of guests and to it's been better than i could have hoped to Mm -hmm. like fill the void but it's no substitute for actually reacting to real baseball stuff going on so that's that's what we're hoping for is in this near future if it's not this coming week it better be the week after that that there's some sort of breakthrough and we're able to unpack you know how this Every, how this new world uh, impacts the Marlins and uh, this upcoming season. That's, it's been a few years now where uh, it's been hard for me to prepare for the season because I don't know what to expect because everything is so in flux. Mm. And as frustrating as it is at times behind the scenes, it's such a rush to actually, when, once we actually like cross that line and actually get to the situation where we're ramping up for the season, it's going to come really fast. It's going to be messy but we, we love to engage with Marlins fans and uh, put out this great stuff for you guys and with the engagement that you guys provide. So I, I love this fan base and I love everybody such as yourself that comes up with your own creative ideas about how, about where this team is going and uh, a great mixture of analysis and fun. So that's, that's why I liked locked on Marlins and fish across the pond so much is because we're kind of cut from the same cloth where we try to find that right blend between information and entertainment. There you go. Perfect summary. That is uh, that is the, the strap line, I guess, for, for Locked On and Fish Across the Pond for sure. So right with that being said, guys, it is time for me to disappear. Uh, I this bringing this episode to you from the Spanish island of Tenerife. So I have got some serious red wine to be drinking this evening. So in the meantime, guys, I will be logging off. And we will be back next week with Locked On Marlins. We will likely be diving into those Washington Nationals and the, uh, I guess, the news that broke. One Soto deal. It's stalled. Looking forward to getting into that with some Nats fans digging into those guys. In the meantime, guys, stay safe and back next week.